Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to get together and uh, worship you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room as we start a new year. Um, man, they've already made such a big step to come here. And God, sometimes it can just seem like another day, but it's a divine appointment. If we let ourselves actually believe that, even if we don't understand it, um, it can change the way that we view these things. I pray that you would reach um, hard hearts, that you would heal broken hearts, um, and, and just move the way that you do. And I pray, God, that, uh, you know, I haven't been feeling great. Help me to not be distracted by that, um, to preach your word, preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in the way, and I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen. It's good to see you guys. How's the year started? Pretty well so far? So, not well. Is that... <laughs> Okay. Well, I, I do hope you all had a good start to the new year. Um, we kind of talked about this last week. It's interesting, right? This is literally the first service of the new year. How crazy is that? And um, so new year, new you, right? New us. With the new year, and I do, this is true, every year I tend to think about sort of um, what that means for us as a church, like a new year, as a church body. Um. And when I think about that, it almost always gets me thinking about how we started, um, kind of where we're at, and then why we, like, how we started and even why we started. Because, you know, believe it or not, you don't, um, at least I didn't, I didn't wake up and say, you know what would be cool? Starting a church. Like, that, that was never my goal. Um, that's why I think the people that have kind of known that, people that grow up and, and know that, right, from like teenage years, like, hey, I'm going to go do this. I think it's really cool. But I was not my, my journey. Um, give you guys a little kind of preview of that, or I guess recap. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to talk about this. So when we started this church, we were in a, I worked for a teen center. It was a director of programming or whatever they ended up making me feel good about so they didn't have to pay me as well. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I kind of did, I did do that. And then we got, the one benefit was when we sort of started this, we got to, to have service in that building. It was an old building, old church building. And, um, you know, when you started, there was probably, I don't know, the first week there might have been 12 people. I, I don't know. And then this kept kind of going from there. And I tell people this all the time. I was in seminary at the time, um, which is a whole different story. But, like, I, I didn't want, <laughs> you know, I, it, even now it's hard for me to, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, you want to know, like, a secret about stuff? Like, here's, I'm going to bur burst some bubbles here. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't really know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just wake up and go, but you have to act like you do, right? <clears throat> because it makes people nervous if you don't. So the reason that this church kind of started was I, I came to know Jesus later in life, um, towards the end of my high school years, and uh, it was kind of a crazy thing, man. Uh, Jack is here today, I think, so he knows this. It's he, thankful to him. Um, we hung out. We had a, another buddy. I'll call him Johnny. That way I don't say his real name. So I found out later, Jack only really asked me to go so that Johnny would go because, like, Johnny was real bad, <laughs> and I, Jack thought I, you know, I, I was raised pretty well, I think, and so I was a pretty nice guy, and I didn't didn't do the bad stuff, right? What I, what people think is the bad stuff, and how God works, man, you know, Johnny, 
He didn't think anything of it, and I got saved. So it's just funny how it worked. We went to this weird kind of play, um, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And it does, it freaks you out a little, but there's a scene in that. Now, the hell thing definitely scared me. That got me listening, okay, which is real. Um, but there's a scene where Jesus kind of pops out, like, at least for them. He came out behind the curtains and starts walking down and light behind him. And I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Like, I've heard of him. He's the guy on the wall, though, right, that looks at you weird in that picture. I always talk about that, right, the one picture he's always looking at you. And um, something about the love. I mean that, that I, you know, the health thing got me listening. I was like, oh, I definitely probably should deserve to go there based on what they're telling me. And then this, this image of him coming and saving this guy, right, and pulling him out of this. Um, I wasn't, we weren't against God or anything that matter growing up, right, at least in the sense of like, I hate, hate God. But <clears throat> So when I came to know, man, it was me in the New Testament. They gave me a New Testament, made me sign a card that said I was saved, right, prayed with me, went on my way. And I changed. I just literally changed. Um, like, oh, literally overnight. I had a girlfriend at the time. That's why I can relate. Like, I know the temptations. Nobody told me that the stuff you do with your girlfriend in your bedroom, right, isn't okay. I just knew. Like, something felt wrong. I literally told her that. I was like, hey, something doesn't feel right. And um, that was kind of the first sign. So the first, really, three three years, maybe longer. I just had the New Testament. I think it had like New Testament Proverbs in it or something. So anyway, this guy I read about was different than I'd ever heard or ever been told or seen. Um, and maybe I was just around the wrong people, <laughs> but that's, that's the truth. So when I started, skip ahead years, I ended up going to, to college, went to a Christian college, found out that just because it has Christian in front of it doesn't mean everybody there is a Christian. <laughs> um, so while I'm there, I start working at this teen center, which turns into a full-time thing, because I wanted to be an attorney, or I wanted to be a, 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 an English teacher and football coach. It was like as if the NFL didn't work out. <laughs> and um, so I didn't have that plan, really. I remember noticing a couple things, though. Like when I would talk about Jesus... One is I, I, I naturally wanted to tell people about him. Like, it's, I didn't know what it's doing. I just wanted to say, hey, this Jesus thing's real. But I also had, <clears throat> when I would talk to Christians, a lot of times they would seem like, I don't know, I didn't know anything, but they would be encouraged by what I'm saying to them when I didn't really know anything except about Jesus. And like, hey, I was dirty and sinful. I wasn't even fully understanding that. It was bad, and now I'm not. And I, I, I don't get it, but it's awesome. <clears throat> and when I was at uh, this teen center, skipping ahead, I need, I need to not get lost in memory lane here or pass out from the heart attack I'm having. Um, so I better hurry. Huh? <laughs> I better hurry. Um, when I was, there's two stories that come to mind that sort of, when I think about how God sort of prodded me, I always had a passion for people to hear about Jesus. And I've always been a bit of like, I don't want to say rebel. Um, but yeah, a little rebel and a little bit of like, I don't like bullies and that kind of, some of you are like, well, you're a bully. Yeah, I know I'm a bully of bullies, but anyway, kind of, <clears throat> so I would, I guess some, some of that kind of went towards religious people because I'd be like, you're trying to bully people and you're trying to tell them things that aren't what this guy's saying. When I was at this teen center and Andy's here, he's not in here today. Every time I reference him, he happens to be serving in children's church, but 
Um, part of my job at this teen center was to create relationships with other churches. And I was also part of a, at the time, kind of a youth network, youth workers network. And um, during that, um, I, there are two stories that come to mind, one of which is I was sitting in a room with them. When you work with at-risk youth, that's what we called it, you end up meeting their families too. A lot of times they would write things like, um, we would ask them, what's your church? And they would say, the name of our teen center, right? And we're not a church. We weren't equipped to be that. So I'm in a group with this, this youth leader, group leader, youth pastors, and I'm starting to tell them, I'm like, hey, guys, there's a lot of people here who are interested in God, but they don't, they don't have a connection to church. And I'm kind of, that's a, I didn't talk a lot in these meetings, believe it or not. Isn't that weird? Because I talk a lot now. But they said, I remember this distinctly, and the guy goes, why don't you take him to your church? And that sounds like it's not that bad, except it was said very angrily. And one of the things that I was kind of taught at this teen center was like, you got to be careful with churches as we kind of like invite them in because if they feel like somebody's getting an edge over them when it comes to reaching people and you're kind of on a team, they don't like that. I was literally told that sort of. <clears throat> so um, I was surprised. So I said, you're telling me if I had a church in this town, I didn't live in this town, you, would, you don't care if I bring all these people here. I said, no, we don't care. I was like, okay, file that away. Another time I got all these, I called a meeting with all these youth pastors and pastors. They came in this town, and I said, hey, I need you guys to come here. There are people, like, this is a lake, and there are a lot of needy people that need to hear the gospel, and they're getting saved, but they don't have a church to go to. Like, I'm telling you guys, if you come here, it's easy pickings. And a lady uh, raised her hand, or not raised her hand, she, she was the, one of the leaders of the youth thing, she said, oh, we'll pray about that. Let's, we'll, we'll, let's all take some time to pray about it. And I said, I literally just slipped out. I was like, why are we going to pray about something God has already told us to do? And she was, <gasps> which I didn't even think was that mean. So I think about that as sort of symbolic, and that's kind of how it started. So when I think about that and I tell you this story, I'm not telling, do, were these people not Christians? No, I don't think that's the case. I'm not saying that. I don't know. Were they not serving people? No, I think they were serving people. But I think it, those two interactions are kind of a snapshot of something that happens so often in our church culture. And what that is, is it's a kind of apathy. It's a kind of attitude that can make all of this about me and us. And when we all get together as Christians and we spend a lot of time together, which we should, but if that's all we do, we sort of like create these weird rules of like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how God works. And it's not always based on the Bible. It's based on some guy who came up with a theory, right, in the 50s of how you're supposed to reach people. That's not bad. <clears throat> there's some other things that happen. I don't talk about this a lot because there's a lot of religious nuts out there that claim to hear from God, right, when they don't. But I feel like God did, it doesn't matter if it's audibly or whatever, but speak to me at a time and it's like, you know, people have the right I know that we have the right to do that, to stay here. Did you know that? We have the right to stay here, not go out and serve and love. Did you know that? And we're still going to be saved. Stay with me. In and of itself, that, that's entirely feasible. But that's not 
what disciples do. And this is the issue, even to this day, that I have sometimes, because again, I make this joke a lot, because someone did put a comment in our prayer thing, which is cool, because that's what it's there for, of like, you don't like Christians, do you? And I do. I like, I know. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I can't believe it either, but they didn't sign their name, weird. Um, I do, I love Christians, but somehow if I point out what the Bible says we're supposed to be, including me, that makes us angry. So what we end up having, and what those things kind of gave me a snapshot, is like, if I, I know they did good work. Those people did good work. But some, then what happened? If they are saved, they do serve the kingdom, what happened? How did that happen? Well, they've been in the party so long, and being reminded of what's happening outside the party of the saints doesn't make us feel good. We don't like to be reminded of that. Because if we see it, it does a couple things. It reminds us of what we were and maybe still are as far as our actions. Because I don't know about you guys, I've been saved a long time, I still sin. I hate it, but I do. <clears throat> but it also reminds us of what we're not doing. Galatians 6, 9 says, uh, you guys have heard of this, right? Let, this is Paul talking to the church in Galatians. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, the context of this is also at the time, like, we are to do good and live good lives, right? But right after that, he says, don't ever stop. Verse 10, it's not going to be up there. Don't ever stop loving people. Take every opportunity to love people. So doing good isn't just our actions, but how we interact with the world. So my question is, for you guys, before we, sort of today, if you're a believer in this room, and I'm not going to define that. I'll define that at the end. If you're a believer and you know it, don't do the whole thing you're already doing of like, well, I'm not a good one. Are you a believer? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? If you do, how did you hear it? Maybe it was your mom, dad, that's awesome, grandpa, grandma. Maybe it was a TV show. Maybe it was a weird play that I went to because my buddy invited me for the other bad guy. It doesn't matter. How did you hear? Here's the thing. Someone told you. Someone showed you the truth. So my question is, where would you be if that person said to themselves, let someone else do it? Or I'm not qualified to do it. See, that day when I went to that church, just for me, the, there wasn't a pastor preaching. There wasn't some seminary trained guy he just told me about Jesus. Where would it be? Where would you be? Now, I'm going to ask this question, right? I hope, did you actually think about it? Not or should do this? Yes, no. Aiden, yeah, no. One of the two. Yeah, yeah. I'll just look at you forever. Give me something. Not or shake. Good. All right? That's we're friends. See, if I say your name, it means I like you. <clears throat> He's like, I don't know. <laughs> no, it does. Right? <clears throat> Why would I say the name of people I don't like? They're just going to be grumpy. So I only say it to people I like. Um, where would you be? Let someone else do it, right? Here's the question. How many times have you done that? I'm, you got to face it. How many times do I? How many times do I? Maybe this will make you feel better. I'll, I'll, I'll admit something not good. How many times do I use my excuse that I get to preach the gospel every week to justify not talking to the person at the grocery store? Because I have. 
or my family. Stay with me. We'll come back to that. Keep that in your heart. We're going to go. We're going to look at a couple sections in the Gospel of Matthew. I always look at every time I'm going to look at Emma because she used to make fun of me for always being John. See, it's Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 9. Now, before this, before we even start, something kind of crazy happens in chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8, we get the scene where Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs. Right? And it's a crazy story, and I'm only going to drop it on you. And some of you may not know what it is, and that's okay, because you're going to think it's crazy. You should go read it, because it is crazy. And these pigs, he's, before he casts the demons out, they actually say, hey, don't do it. Can we just go into these pigs? And he lets them. And so people are like, why would he do that? Then the pigs go crazy and jump off a cliff. It's a wild story, the whole herd of pigs. Then it's crazy, because what it says at the end of that is that the people, right, after seeing this guy, this guy was famous, this demon-possessed guy. He was known. He was doing crazy things, super strong, like the stuff you see on The Exorcist, right? Crazy stuff. And <clears throat> so they knew about him. Then they see that Jesus cast this out. And you know what the response was? The response was, hey, that's awesome. Please leave. They asked him to leave. Go look it up. And right after this, we start in chapter 9. And I will come back to that. But keep this in mind. We're going to start at verse 1. When you got it, say I got it. Perfect. It's on, ah, I tricked you, it's on the screen. <clears throat> and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. It's a really crucial thing, his hometown. Wrestling with whether to offend people. Don't go ahead yet, Grant. I wasn't waiting for you, sorry. <laughs> See, it's hard to keep up with me. Hmm. Went to his own city. It's funny, man, when you talk about mission trips, mission trips, we always leave town, leave the state, leave the country. That's not bad. Some of you are already mad. That's, clearly, we need to go and spread it to the ends of the earth, but boy, I'll tell you what, a lot of churches spend a lot more time out there than they do in their own town. Getting to a Bodhi cross, and maybe that's us, and that's part of it. I guess I should challenge us, right? We're not the good ones. Right? Because we started trying to be different and reaching different people. And I've said this, and the people in this church know this. I say it all the time in our member meetings. You think the churches that are just normal and Americanized church, you think they just woke up one day and said, you know what we want to do? We just want to be like everybody else. They don't do that. It just, how does it happen then? Because the, a church is made up of individuals. And a group of individuals that make this whole thing just a religion bare minimum that I can get away with are content to be in the party, they become a normal church. And everybody wants revelation. It's coming. You're going to find out what God thinks of normal churches. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 says, Getting to a boat, he crossover, came to his own city, and behold, I'm using the ESV. I typically do the CSV. I suppose that's important for you. ESV, okay, this week. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. This guy was paralyzed, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Some translations say, Be courageous. But he says, Take, take heart. Now, a lot of times, I just want to show you who Jesus is because i got to get this out of your head because you've been Americanized, right? A lot of times you think he's floating going, take heart, my son, right? Like some strange cult leader. No, he probably bent down, right? Bent down, looked at him face to face and said, hey, it's going to be okay. 
have faith. And behold, some of the scribes, scribes are religious leaders, they're religious folk, pastors maybe, could be. Religious folks said to themselves, this man, or, or long-term Christians, call everyone. Some of the Christians said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you, here's a, before we go on, I'm going to answer it for you, but why would they say he's blaspheming? Right? Your sins are forgiven, that's the clue. This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your, your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Guys, if you, if you want, men especially, churches for girls, if you want to know how, Jesus, how awesome Jesus is, ask yourself if you do this. This is, this is like, this is a drop the mic moment. And I'll explore. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to man. So essentially, before we even go on, it's, just got, it's not even really a point, but i got to tell you. He says, that they heard him say, your sins are forgiven. They knew that he didn't have that ability. He shouldn't have, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you come to the temple. We do what the religious rites. That'll cleanse you, which, to their credit, at that point, made sense. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you don't get it. So let, me, let me paraphrase it again. Essentially, he says, like, this is actually harder. You're, you're right. What I'm doing, I'm saying sins are forgiven. No person can do that. But I'm going to throw this in so you recognize who I am. Get up. Goosebumps, get out. If you, if you don't feel that, go home, take a nap, eat some Taco Bell, wait for the bowl game tomorrow. All right? Because that's good stuff. <clears throat> the paralytic man, a couple things to take in mind. The paralytic man, did he ask for help based on what we have here? Uh, guys, I'm telling you, I'm about to have a heart attack. It's a pet. If there was ever a podium throwing day, today's the day. Wake up. I'm up here preaching with a possible heart attack, okay? You can at least be awake and interact, yeah? Yes. Thank you. It's just me and Jaden, apparently. Anyway, I'll say this again, okay? Did he ask for help? No. <laughs> Jesus didn't wait for him to ask. He saw a need. Yeah, they brought him to him, right? He's still Jesus. He's busy. And they look, he looked at him, didn't ask, sat down, and met his need. He didn't wait to be asked. He saw a need, and he went into it. Here's the thing. Not only did he do that, did he see a need? He wasn't asked, but he went into the need. He went into the need not caring about the consequences of going to the need. Fully God, fully man. He knew. He read their thoughts. He knew what they were going to think. He knew. This is so hard to understand that this was just another stepping stone to the cross, that this moment would be in their head where they're going to say, use this to accuse him, and he could have easily said, I'm not going to do it right now because people are watching. And he went to him, and not caring what the consequences are of what he looked like, a lot of times when bad things happened back then to these people, by the way, this happens now, people tended to think that meant that person sinned. They did something wrong, so they were being punished, untouchables, and then I don't want to catch your sin. Like a cold, right? Like CVID, get it? When I used to say that, we got banned online. That's a true story, right? CVID, oops. Um, oh, I want to say it so bad. Anyway, we want, I don't want to catch it. Jesus knew that. This man's a sinner probably. He's probably viewed that way. 
We already know that Jesus knew they were going to go. Who do you think you are? He went to it anyway. Why? Because he cared more about the man and his needs than he did himself. Listen. Selfishness doesn't always look like you're consciously thinking about you. Sometimes selfishness looks like not thinking about someone else. Let's move on. So we, we get that. The religious people, did they like this? No, they didn't, right? They didn't like it. Why? Why did they really? I could go into the theological treatise of like he was saying he was God, all that. That's true. But let me break it down a little more for us. He did that. They didn't like it because Jesus was doing it in a way. This isn't how it's supposed to go. Let's pray about it. Let's pray about whether to call these kids, come and and. and and preach to these, these at-risk youth that don't know Jesus and their family. Let's pray about it. That's what we do first in the church, right? And that sounds good, and so many times we go, yeah, let's pray about it. But God didn't stutter. You don't need to pray about whether to love someone. You don't need to pray about whether to help someone. Let me Clue, you don't need to pray. And the moment you're telling yourself, should I? Your heart is in a weird place. I mean, my voice do something cool there, right? It's the sick. Because it, or not, because it, it, it wasn't how it was supposed to be. It didn't follow the rules. What rules? The religious rules. You ever see that when Christians spend too much time cooped up together, we have this tendency to come up with how things are supposed to go. I mentioned this earlier. We kind of come up with not only that, we start going, you know what? I think we know. We're really cool. We know how God works, when God works, and who God works through, and who God works to. They didn't like it. Religious people, religious people, here's a clue, are always going to focus on the how rather than the what. Some of you are going, what does that mean? Perfect. Let him who has ears, right, to hear, understand. What was their attack? So now we know they're mad. Well, their attack was what? This man is blasphemy. Hmm, let's wrap this up. Let's come back to today. If you do it different, right? what they're saying is you're not with God. This man's not with God. He's not doing it God's way. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to go out and love and feed and preach here in this town. That's not how you do it. Mission trips go out because we've got to make sure we've got a beach to hang out on on the free time. Oh, boy. Their attack was immediately he wasn't with God. Now, some of you all and the people, the religious folk watching are going, see, he's saying that, and there's going to be people that justify doing whatever they want. Yeah, whatever, dude. The Holy Spirit's real. I don't have to be God. I just got to tell you about God. <laughs> what was their attack? This man's blaspheming. He isn't with God. Listen, this is important. The religious people, and you're probably, I hope you are kind of going, where are you going with this? We'll see. <clears throat> the religious people are going to focus on you, your failings, they're going to focus on how it's done. They're going to try to tell you, like, sure, you can do that if you do this. When we do that, this is how it's done in churches. I can't tell how many times I've been told that by people in this church. Well, Todd, this is how it was done in other churches. And I took that for a long time until I finally got to the point and, and some people in the room I said this to, and they know who they are. I literally said, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't care. There's times that it's good to know, and it's not, I'm not saying you everything we chuck out. But I'm saying sometimes we don't want to say this. We just want to be comfortable. And the Americanized 
modern church allows you to be comfortable and be on the team. And so when somebody comes along and says, whoa, 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 maybe you aren't doing everything that you are called and equipped to do, then we get, we get angry because we want to be comfortable. I get it. I want to be comfortable. I would much rather come up here and preach things that don't make you angry. Right? I would love to be liked. That sounds awesome. But sometimes that's not the case. What's their attack? This man, so religious folk are going to do that, and then they're going to immediately start doing what? Telling you you're not with God. You're not a real Christian. And then, that, ready for their proof? They're going to point out all the ways in which you blasphemed your sin, your mistakes. And sometimes you do that to yourself, right? I can't talk about this. I don't know what I'm doing. All right, move on. I got I to gotta keep going here, even though you guys are half asleep. I'm, I'm excited because I only got, you know, 15, 20 minutes before I fall over. Anyway, uh, the crowds, this is important too, the crowds didn't fully get it. The crowds didn't fully get it. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given authority to men. Sometimes the crowds, even the people, like, you know, we get caught up in like, well, if I serve someone, and I'm going to base whether or not it's good on how they respond to it, how the people around respond to it, right? I'll give you an example. I've done this. Have you ever seen, let's just say a homeless person, someone struggling, maybe not even a homeless person, someone you know in a church, and you, I guarantee you've done this. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. You're like, I want to help them, but you're also, but I don't want to offend them. I don't want to make them mad by offering my help. Because sometimes they do get mad. Right? Right in that moment, what you're doing, who cares if they do? Who cares if they don't? Sometimes the, 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 the harvest is not immediate. The crowds didn't fully get it, but even though they didn't fully get it, they recognized God in it. This is a wild verse, verse 8. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. The world is happening. This guy healed a paralytic man, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. But then they're like, I'm scared, in awe, but I like this. Thank you, God. What happened first? They were afraid. Okay, keep moving. You'll see where we're going to go with this, Jaden. It's just me and you, buddy. All right. Jump down to verse 9. Right after this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, they had dinner that way, so they're eating dinner. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, eating with them. And when the Pharisees, Pharisees, just another class of the religious folk, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why do you as your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Pause. If I, don't, I know I tell this every time I need to because someone in the crowd doesn't know it. What do they have? What's the problem with the IRS? Well, we all know the problem. Just kidding. Right? Here's the issue at hand. Tax collectors were, in this case, this was a Jewish person, right? The Jews had been conquered, not enslaved, but essentially, um, you know, dominated by the Roman Empire, the world. And these, these were Jewish. Matthew was a Jewish man working with the enemy. Not only that, tax collectors back then, because the Romans didn't really care. If I give, if the tax is five denarii, right, I'll put it five dollars, Right? As long as they get their $5, they don't really care if the tax collector says you owe me 8 Get it? I take my 3 I give you 5 So it, wasn't, it was a big deal. We're all like, why did they not like him so much? Because these, this, Matthew was a bad person. He was a bad guy. He wasn't a good person that was mis, just misunderstood. By our standards, he's a bad guy. He's a liar and a cheat and a thief, most likely, and a traitor. 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Man, they, they had a special category for them. They're so bad. This ain't just a sinner. They're the bad sinners. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, they don't need a doctor. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He quotes an Old Testament verse too. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So right after we see Jesus come, right, they say he's blaspheming. Right after he walks out, again, men, men, trick is boring. He's teaching you how to be a dude right now, a man, and you're going, right? That's what you sound like when you do that. He's walking along right after. I just imagine, just think of how to say this in in an appropriate way. Just think of the courage that takes. Right? Just take this thing of the courage that it takes. Then he walks right after this, goes and tells a tax collector that he sees this bad guy, come follow me. Right after, right after, right in the face of the religious. He didn't do it just to make them mad. I don't think that's the point, but I think he didn't care. He wasn't controlled by what everyone else thought. He wanted to please the Father and he wanted to love people. We Christians have a tendency to decide who God can use based on them and their sins and their past and their struggles. This guy's bad. Why would would your teacher want him? He's unusable. He's broken. He's a sinner. He's this. He's divorced. He is a cheat. He's a liar. He's an addict. Whatever it is you want to call, he's from the wrong side of the track. Whatever it is that the label they put on you, They like to decide who gets to be in the club. And they'll never tell you this. We never say this, but we also decide who's worthy of telling the gospel to. Okay, what else we learned? Well, it says many tax tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him. This is important. I got it. Jill, stay with me. I'm going to tie it together. Jesus, see her up here. I'm just kidding. Right? His treatment. Listen, listen, please. His treatment of one bad person, one person that wasn't good enough, was a testimony to the rest. It made them feel safe to come to Jesus. It made them go, maybe it's not just for Matthew then. Maybe it's for me. And then what did Jesus do? He welcomed them. His treatment of one of the people, of someone in need that the world said wasn't worthy, Drew the rest of them. That's a testimony. It's not just your story. That's a testimony to God. And I'm going to say this. I like to say something to the young ones because they, they don't like me. But I like to say it anyway. You know, some of you, you're such awesome kids. I mean that. I get to see them. They're aw- we have awesome young people, young adults here. But what I would tell you is you're in a dangerous place too because You were the ones that could have told me about Jesus when I was in school with you. Nobody did. Nobody did. I played sports. I did all that. They all went to church. They were Christians. But that was an area of their life that they never taught. And I love my buddies in case they ever see. They've actually watched and gotten mad at me before and messaged me. Like in case he's seen it, my one buddy goes, hey, how come in your stories I'm the dumb one? That's what he said. (laughs) I didn't know he was listening, first of all. But secondly, if he would have listened to the rest of them, I said, he's the most successful. He's not dumb, just in case you're watching. Um... (laughs) Uh, 
You see what I'm saying? I don't blame them. They were young because they didn't think that they had the ability. But because they were my best friends, what they said mattered. Not because they were perfect. Sometimes we think, well, our buddies have seen me do that bad stuff, right? My friends have seen me do that bad stuff. But that's the point. They're going to go, whoa, maybe, maybe that's for me too then. <clears throat> His treatment went better. Let's keep going. Okay, so what happened right after that? Well, here are the religious again. Why is he with the bad people? Right? You see the buildup here? Well, they try this attack, he doesn't stop. They try this attack, he doesn't stop. Now they're like, what's he doing with these bad? Look at him, he must be like them. A long time ago, I said I wanted to start a bar ministry, which I did and I still do. And I wanted to go to bars. Is that shock? Ooh, yeah, okay. That's where people are. You go to bars, right? Immediately, half of you are going, Todd, are you going to get drunk? No, why do you think that? I'm going to go there and play some pool maybe. Anyway, I'm going to go. Why? Because there's people there that are hurting, broken. Not everyone, but a lot of people that don't know Jesus go there. That's a fact. Not all of them don't know Jesus. Going to a bar doesn't mean you don't know Jesus, but there are a lot of people there. So where does Jesus go? He goes where the people that need him are. He goes to the sick. Guess what happened? This is, a, this is a true story. All of a sudden, that became an attack on me. True story. People early on. This guy wants to go to bars and get drunk. What? Then another person, true story, said I got in a bar fight. I don't even know how that came up. I'm serious. Someone went around and said I, and told it as a fact. Some of you might have heard it. I wish you'd raise your hand if you did. I got in a bar fight. Anyone heard that? Okay, three. All right, yeah. Mm, I won. Anyway, all right, I didn't. But my point is why? Because some religious folk didn't like the, what we were saying because they didn't like what we were doing because what a secret. It's going to point out that they're not willing to go. Okay, so here they are. And then what is Jesus? Jesus' words in response to them. By the way, he loves the religious people. We know right here. He could have said what I would want to do. <laughs> you piece of poo-poo, right? Get out of here. He didn't say that. What does he say? Those who are well have no need of a doctor but those who are sick. I'm not going to the people that think they have it all together. I'm not going to the people that don't need a savior. I'm not going to the people that right now think they're successful and they don't need anything because they got the 401k and the nice house and the big truck. The people that the church reaches, right? We want those people good offering that way. No. By the way, those are all good things and you don't have to be mad about that, right? Money is not bad. Love of it is, right? <clears throat> You've been blessed with money. How cool, if you, and you're a believer, I want you to hear this. What an incredible, and I, I don't know, I mean this, I'm not talking about specifically, what an incredible honor you've been given. Because a lot of people out there, right, how much trust must he have you when Jesus himself said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you've been given that. Now I get it, because the way the church is, a lot of times when you got money, you're suspicious, right? Because they come for you. And they want every, once they find out those zeros, they're like, they're giving me stuff. Here's the challenge to you. Stop worrying about what they do. Stop worrying about the people that do that. Stop worrying about what's wrong. And you worry about what God is telling you to do with the blessings he's given you. Now, if you took that to mean Todd is sneakily trying to manipulate you, you're making my point. Don't let the world mess with you. You've been given that for a reason. Okay? Unrelated. Don't let anyone think you're wrong because you have nice things. That's not the point. What is, what is his response? Jesus' words are powerful. It's not the sick, right? It's not the, that, I mean, it's not the healthy I come for, but the sick. And go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You are obsessed with the religious rights, with what we got to give up, with, with earning it and showing it and proving it to the world that you're one of the good ones. I don't want that. 
The Father doesn't want that. God doesn't. What I want is to you to show mercy the way that I show mercy. For you to show love the way I show love. I want you to be like me, not just talk about me. For I've come not to call the righteous but sinners. Listen to me, friends. The heart of the gospel is found in verse 13. Actually, 13 and, yeah, 13. 12 and 13. I can't talk. Listen, this is the gospel. When they heard it, he said, those who are well have need a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. That is our mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you think you are good on your own, I can't help you. If you think you're healthy on your own, I can't help you. If you think you're a good person, I can't help you. If you think you have it all together, I can't help you. I can only help those who know they need help. It's the heart of the gospel and a reminder, this reminder, I desire mercy not sacrifice. I came to call the righteous, but sinners, remnant church, listen to me, and people that are here visiting, listen to me. This, remembering this will be a reminder. Remembering that I came to call not the righteous, but sinner is also a good reminder to remind us who we are. You're not. You are good because of him. I'm curious sometimes, right? There's like this unspoken rule. The longer you're in church, the higher you are in the hierarchy, more successful you are, the higher on your hierarchy. That's a fact. We know it. Well, that's old, that's old Johnny, right? I'm trying to change names here. Old Johnny's been in, he, he's been serving on the board for 20 years, so he must be good. He's better than the guy that came in. That's not the case. Right after this, we get this rapid fire looking at Jesus' ministry. Where am I going, Jill? It's sneaky. You'll find out. I think you, you think you know, don't you? You do. I can see Kaylee. You think you know. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. We'll get this rapid-fire look into Jesus' ministry right after chapter 9. It's boom, boom, boom. He gets asked why his disciples don't do the old religious acts. Fasting, right? He says fasting's not bad, but you're not getting it. I've come to do something new, different than you're used to. What do they want to do? Put the old on him. Hey, you're supposed to do this. He said, no, no, that's not how it works. Then he goes and heals a bleeding woman, right, unclean. I don't have to explain that. means she wasn't touched by anybody because they thought she was sinful. They didn't want to catch a sin. He heals her, she touches him, and then he just heals her, he turns and talks to her, he says, you know, essentially recognizes her, then he brings a little girl back to life. This is all happening one right after the other. Then he heals two blind men, one's not enough, we've got to heal two, right? Then he heals a man that can't speak, boom, 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 boom. Remember this as we go into chapter 10, I mean, I'm at the end of chapter 9. Then we drop down this section, boom, 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 and then the end of Chapter 9 is interesting. Look at verse 35, going through 38. So after all this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few, and I believe he did that. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and we struggle with this. He couldn't be everywhere at once. He was in the flesh. He couldn't. He couldn't talk to every hurt person. He couldn't talk. He, he wasn't able to, to get to heal every person broken, you know, uh, diseased person. He did a lot, but he couldn't get to them all. And as he's looking, instead of saying, oh, I've done a good job, I've done enough this week, I did enough uh, community events, I did enough evangelistic events, I went to church three times, he looked and said, there's so much to do, and I wish I could do it 
right? And they're ready. The harvest is ready. They're there. They just, he looked at the hurting, broken people, saw their need, and didn't justify himself. He didn't make excuses. All he said was like, there is so much need and not enough people to go and meet the need. There's not enough people to go tell them. There's not enough workers. Pray. Pray that the Lord sends workers. You ever thought about that he might just be tired and say, I can't do it all? You can't fathom that because you think he's floating around with a halo. He's fully God, fully man. He's showing us a picture here. As he went around and he's teaching and he's proclaiming, right? Proclaiming the gospel. You look that word up, you know, I like words. I don't often go to the Greek and all that because it gets all caught up and people think it's like a special magic language. It's like if you can't understand English, why do we have an English Bible? But proclaim is cool because what it says is like to be a herald, to go forth and announce who's coming. And there's also this kind of like get them to understand the reality of the gospel. Not just say it. Proclaim it in such a way that it's so real to you that it becomes real to them. It makes them at least go, this has got to be serious because this guy, this girl, is taking it that serious. So as he's teaching, proclaiming, healing, all of a sudden he stops and he has compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They needed help. They don't get it. They don't understand Then he said to his disciples, the harvest plentiful, but the laborers are few. He was motivated by his compassion and by seeing their need. His compassion caused them, Jesus, he's the example, caused him to see the need, to slow down, to look. Compassion and need, right? You can say your compassion all you all you want, but how often do you see someone's need? Do people always know their need? Let me use my daughter again, okay? Up to her, she's in this stage where she's kind of taking her diaper all the time. She don't think she needs a diaper. I was cool with this. I let her run around. Then she peed the floor. This really happened, <laughs> right? And that's when I realized she's not fully aware of what she needs. <laughs> Neither am I, right? That's the point, though. Right? Sometimes we go, well, if they, they came to me, I'd help. I was like, no, compassion drives us to see need, to look for it. Why? Because we recognize the compassion the Lord had on us when he met us on whatever that day it was. But here, you know, Jesus had the compassion, but here's a problem. Even Jesus said he was limited at the time. He's fully man. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not the flash. He couldn't be everywhere at once to labor the harvest. So what does he do? He, as he's, he couldn't be everywhere to what? Listen, this is important. <laughs> to teach, to proclaim, and to meet needs. One is not highlighted over the other. When Jesus said go, right, talk about, uh, he, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Apparently the gospel is tied to teaching, proclaiming, and meeting needs. So that's the problem. Matthew chapter 10, right after this, it's one story. We sometimes break it up. The story's continuing. He just said that. Right after that, verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, what does he say? And he called to him, right after saying this, his 12. Because remember, there's a lot more than the 12 following. The reason movies don't do that is they can't have 75 extras. People were following because he was doing miraculous things. So out of the crowd, after saying that, he didn't call everyone. Only those that were his. 
those that were close to him. He called 12. When I do that, that means it's powerful. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits as demons to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Drop down to verse 7 and proclaim, as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He equipped them and he sent them. Who did he equip and send? His people. His people. Not just the So the people that really knew him, the people that were close to him, guess what they did? They taught, they proclaimed, and they met needs. When the workers were few, that's who gets sent. Only those who truly follow Jesus, who truly are close to him. Jesus mentioned the lack of workers, and he then immediately empowers his closest disciples to go and work. We need workers, you 12 go. I feel so bad. I work with babies. All right. To meet needs and to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. You ever go? Is that how you tell the gospel? It's here now? Oh, that's a whole other sermon I can't talk about right now. You got to change your mindset with the gospel. The gospel is not listen. If you do this now, someday you will be saved and go to heaven. Well, that is true. Now. Holy Spirit is on this earth now. Empowering disciples now. Sorry to hear. You're just living in it. You're in the kingdom, right? He's coming. You're just here to live, to glorify him, and to tell people about him, to enjoy the life he's given you. How crazy is that? Before you go and enjoy an even better life. Jesus mentioned the lack of workers and then immediately empowers his close disciples going work to meet needs, to, but also to proclaim the kingdom of heaven in his hand. Listen, the message of the gospel, and we see it in Jesus. We see it in Paul, too. Same gospel. People try to tell you it's not. Go read it. It's very consistent. The message of the gospel, some of you in the room is like, I'm a Christian. The message has always been matched and tied together with serving and loving and meeting tangible needs. Always. Is that how we operate as a church? It's usually one or the other. <clears throat> what do I mean by that? Well, Did Jesus ask the people he healed or served if they would follow him before he met their needs? Oh, I lost you. When he came and did something good for someone, when he met a need, healed, gave gave him food, did he go, hey, are you going to accept Jesus? Because if so, here's $10. If so, here's a piece of bread. If so, here's a miracle. No, he didn't. We're called to meet needs, to love, and to serve. This is so crucial. We are called to meet people's needs, to love, and to serve, regardless of if someone accepts Christ. It's not a transaction. Hey, look what we can show you. It's kind of like flashing money. Like if you're part of the club, I can, I'll feed you. If you're part of the club, you can get some nice clothes. If you're part of the club, you can come into the, the big building or the party. That's not how it works. Something I had to, we talked about a lot in this church early on is getting people out of that mindset. If we want to love like Jesus, it's so crucial to understand it's not a transaction because a lot of times in, in the modern church today in America, and it's, again, it starts in a good place, we can sometimes judge the success of our mission by counting the salvations. The mission trip was, it was and it can go the other way too, right? 
We can judge our mission based on counting the salvation. So, I mean, the question is, is this the way of Jesus? Is this agape? No. That's hard to understand. And before, listen, no Christian is going to say that we think that because we don't, but that's what we live out. Are you willing to love someone, meet the need, then tell them about Jesus, even if they don't accept Christ? And if they didn't, did that mean you did it wrong? Who makes the seed grow? We don't, that's the beauty of our, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, we got such a hard mission. I'm like, no, you don't. You just go tell people about the man who saved you, changed your life, and let the Father, let God handle the God things. It's so crucial. Is it agape? That's why Christ's like love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love bears all things, endures all things, believes all things. Love never ends, even after two weeks building a house. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to do mission trips. How many people in this town need a house built? Just being honest. Oh, exactly. We don't think that way, do we? How crazy is that? And again, I don't think people that do that, they're not thinking in a negative way. I mean, and it's still good, by the way. That's still good. You need churches to do that. If you want to know the secret, I don't think every mission trip is called to go out of the country. I don't. I don't believe that. Not while there's people here that don't know. I want to, I want to say this again. So I, I asked you, you know, did he ask him to, uh, if they'd follow him before he met their needs? No, he met the need, told them, and then said, follow me. You want more? You want life? Come and follow me. And then if they didn't, did he take back his blessing? Go read that. Did he say, okay, well, you're paralyzed again? Oh, no, you're blind again. Do we do that? Do you do that? Do I do that? Listen, if if you're a note taker, this, this is one of the important ones. I'll have a short list, but this is important. The gospel is about, I'm going to tell you the gospel in a nutshell. Remnant church, people that serve in all the teams and think you know everything, I'm talking to you. How about I offend you once? Sometimes, no offense, guests, they'll get arrogant. They're like, man, he's talking to all them guests. No, I'm talking to you. That's my job. The guests are just, thank you. God bless you. My job is to offend you. (laughs) Tell you the truth. Members. (laughs) Right? New becomes normal when you stop remembering why it was new. Anyway, listen, the gospel is about God meeting his people and meeting their needs. You know that? What do you mean, Todd? There's more than that. You say more, and that's true. But at its heart, the gospel is about God coming to meet his people and meeting their needs. What do you mean, Todd? He doesn't always give me money. No, he meets the one need that is your most crucial need, your eternal need. And you know what he does? He throws extra on top of that because he does bless you. Everyone in here, I don't care your financial situation, you are kings to 98% of this world. Kings and queens, that's a fact. Look it up. The gospel is about God meeting his people, meeting their needs. That's the point of the miracles. Did you know that? Jesus was trying to remind people of three things, his power, his purpose, and his love. I'm God, you're not. 
I don't follow your rules. You follow mine. I tell you how things are. I have the power to back it up. But you know what's incredible? My love motivates me to come to you, not your sacrifice, my mercy. You see why that's important? Because if it's not, we can start thinking a couple things. One is some of you feel like you're never good enough, and some of you think like you're already good enough because you're really good at following the rules. Praise God, you need that. That doesn't mean those things are bad. But don't forget who you were before he met you. And when you remember who you were before he met you, it helps you to remember other people and see their needs and be moved. Is there a cost? Yeah. I say that to a lot of the single people in the room. You are in a tough spot, man. Because to, it is so tempting to compromise. To compromise so that you can not be alone. Because even Christians, how many of them are? I find this happens a lot with ladies especially, right? You meet a guy, and he's a good guy, and he goes to church, and all of a sudden, I'm not saying he doesn't mess up. I'm saying he don't seem real churchy any other time. And then you go, well, this the, at least he talks about it. It goes the other way, too. Does she want you to be close to God or pull you away? Does she want you to spend time with people or pull you away? Does she want you to love people or does she pull you away? Does she want you to be her God? Does he want you to be his God? Anyway, the gospel is about God meeting his people, meeting their needs. That's the point of the miracles, note takers. Remind us of his power, his purpose, and his love. So here's your, here's your list. I might get done somewhat early. There's the heart attack. All right. All right, it's not funny. I really thought I was. <laughs> Go back and watch this. You're going to see the moments when I was like, yep, this is it. Holy Spirit's good. Proclaim, all right? Proclaim, that's all I got. I don't have a cool name for it. You want to proclaim. You got to be a herald. You got to start seeing something different. You want, listen, church, before I even go on to this, this is my point. I do got to tie it together because Jill's looking at me funny. I don't want, this is just me. I've said this and I feel like you think I'm paid to say this, like this specific, I'm not. I don't want to be just another Christian. I don't want to be just another church. That's not why we started. That's not our mission. It would be easier to do what they do. And I don't have an issue, like some of it we do. One of our things around here, we use the idea of a cake. It's like, I don't give a, a poopy, right? I wasn't going to curse. I was just going to say, another. No, I wasn't, but it would have been a little over, uh, vulgar word. It does, I, you know, I don't really care what the icing looks like as long as it makes them take a bite of the cake. The icing's the lights and the worship and all, that's great. And if that draws people in, cool. But what I want people to hear is the truth. And I want to live the truth. And I don't want the remnant to be the, the other church that woke up one day and said, yep, we're normal. You aren't. There, are, there is no normal. And some of you guys, it's a new year. And some of you guests are pretty much remnant folk. You just, like, skip every now and then so you don't fully, right? And that's good. Listen, I, I'm going to call you out a little, like, I've said this before, like, I understand life's hard, and I know, I'm not talking about those of you at work. Don't, don't take false guilt. Listen to my words, not what you're hearing. You've got to stop using the excuse, whether it's life or busy or what other churches do or family or all these idols that you pick sometimes that you think aren't idols because the church tells you they're not or sometimes even are hurt. That was me. I don't want to be a part of this. Like, I like it, but I don't want to be a part of this because here or somewhere else because I'm hurt and they're going to hurt me again. It's a new year. 
I know you're here. Those, you know, I know you're here for a reason. I, you're good people. I believe that. You know, you've, there's people that, that aren't plugged into church. We had a lady one time. She came. I've never seen her again. Came to the baptism, and it, it was so powerful to me. She came up to after me, and I always said, man, we're here for the unchurched, right, and the heart, brokenhearted. She never knew, right? For the, Essentially, we used to always say, hey, we're here for the, the people that the church lets slip through the cracks sometimes, right, doesn't walk in the doors, and also for um, those that have been hurt by the church and everybody else in between, but those two. And she comes and she goes, hey, whatever you're doing, she said, I used to go this. She goes, you're, keep doing it. You're, you're not just doing it for the unchurched. You're, you're blessing the de-churched. That's what she called it. That's a powerful thing. But at a certain point, de-churched folks, you've got to plug back in. And that is what the Lord wants. Because we're only a body when we're together. And that's when a lot of the crazy miracles happen, when we're together and we, we live this out and they see it. Okay? Remnant folk, you think just being here is enough. And that's how we become normal. Okay, the point is, when you look at what Jesus did, look how he did it. He proclaimed the news of the gospel, but not, not just with his words and not just with his actions. Both. So, number one, proclaim. What are you talking about here, Todd? I'll try to make it fast. The gospel is tied to tangible love. You cannot tell me you love someone. I am a great Christian. See a starving person and go, somebody will take care of him. I'm not gifted in that way. Ooh, who would I get? Sorry, I'm not gifted. To, that's not one of my spiritual gifts, feeding the hungry. Nobody? Yeah, you, that's you. No, the AJ's like, hey, that's me. Yeah, no, you're a good guy, right? It's tied to tangible love. They aren't separated. The call to love and preaching of the gospel are tied together. They're tied together. We got to do both if we want to be worthy of the one who called us. Number two, we are to meet needs and proclaim. Neither one is more important than the other. I know that sounds weird, but the call is to what? Love each other as I have loved you. And the part of the gospel is doing that, is loving people and then telling them why. Why are you different? Number three, no one, listen to me, friends, no one is unworthy to hear the gospel. No one is too far gone to hear the gospel. No one is too hard-hearted to hear the gospel. You never know, right, when, when the harvest is near in that person's heart and they just need a worker to come and do it, right, come and say it. Number four, we'll keep it up for you guys that are taking notes. Stop waiting for someone else. Stop waiting for someone else. There may not be someone else. Well, I know that's weird. Well, God's sovereign, I know. He chooses to work through us. The workers are few, remember that. So are you gonna be a worker? Or are you gonna be the ones, he's like, I wish we had more people. Okay, who was called? Who did he empower? He empowered the ones that were closest to him and who were willing. Number five, and this is just kind of a cry of my heart for this year. Because it's already happening, man. We're growing, we grew, and then we hit stagnant. You know why we're stagnant? Because you got chill. You're like, oh, we reached the milestone now. We're, we're there. We've arrived. Let's be the empowered church of God. Let's not talk like acts. Let's be like it. Which means you got to do what it tells you to do even when it's uncomfortable. We were called to proclaim, and those are the keys. And if you're not doing that, are you proclaiming? Really? 
Are you? So have you forgotten the reality of this situation? Sydney, I believe, is going to come up and play some music today. Have you forgotten the reality of the situation of the people around you? Have you? It's easy to do. I do it. Have you forgotten the reality of the situation of the people around you? Meaning, you don't even look at them with compassion. You look at, you don't even look at them half the time. You got stuff to do, right? Who's going to take care of you and yours? How often in the last year, in 2023, did you look to proclaim to the people around you about the gospel? Be honest with yourself. I didn't do it enough. How often did you? How often, oh boy. How much time do you spend on your hair? Just saying, if you compare, right? How often the last year did you look to proclaim to the people around you about the gospel? And here's the question for me and for you and for this church as we look towards a new year. Will you do that this year? Are you gonna stay in the old Talked about this last week. You're going to be in the new. You want to be new, you got to do new things. Some of you are like, new year, new me. I'm going to do the exact same things I've always done. I'm going to get closer to my faith, never do anything different. Now, God's love is not tied to your ability to be perfect or always make the right choices. That's not what I'm saying. But, but our love for him is shown in how we love other people and how important it is for them to know the gospel. <coughs> Will, we do, will you do that this year? Will I? Will this church be different or are we okay settling? We'll settle into good you know, tradition, be here. Every week, you know, we're good. As long as we're not going down, we're good. Do we want to be radically different? Do you want to be radically different or do you want to fit into the church culture around us? I, I get it. Church... We do things different even a little bit, and I know you get, you get flack for it. Me too, right? People that came here, it's, you know, people that wanted to. <laughs> yeah. We've got people that say, religious folk that say things like, why'd you, build a, why'd you build a softball field? Why didn't you ask me? You were here for five months, but then left when I wouldn't let you be an elder. That's a real story. But then you're going to go around and say, why'd you spend money on a field? Why don't you ask? If you build it, they will come, right? <laughs> I get it. Being different gets, the, gets you uh, not just the target of the world, but of the religious. We have religious family members. We have religious, and I mean religion in the bad way. We've got religious friends, and like we don't want to be separated from them. We don't want them not to like us. That's it, though. That's the thing. You can't follow Jesus, and everybody's going to like you. That's another lie the church has said. Well, if we love like Jesus, if somebody's offended, you're doing it wrong. He offends me all the time. He offended me today. Will you be different this year, 2024? It's easy, right? New Year's resolutions, you're like, I'm not going to eat a cake. You already ate 12, so you're giving up, right? Here's the point. Whatever it is, are you going to be different this year? Are we going to be different as a church? Let's proclaim this year. Let's get back on mission. Let's be on fire. Let's reignite. Let's not just be comfortable. Let's look for needs. Let's meet them, right? Let's be compassionate. Let's tell people the gospel and love people with the gospel and talk about Jesus in your personal lives. Me too. And then in our ministry as a, as a group, in community time even, have you stopped looking for people to sit with? And I know community's for us. Like, let's, let's invite everyone in. Let's make it comfortable. 
you know, it's funny when people first come here, they'll come to the community meal for a while and then they get comfortable like, well, I don't have to come anymore. And you don't have to, but it's like the point isn't just for you. The point's for the person, the other person. I like, I don't like Taco Bell as much, but I like other places, <laughs> right? I get it. I don't eat here every week just because I want to eat the food, even though it is spectacular. Will you be different? Here's the gospel in a nutshell. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, Jesus Christ came down, met you. When we left him, when we separated from him, when we walked away from God, sin entered our lives like a branch, right? Broken off a tree. It doesn't matter how good your life's going. You know it. Something's wrong, right? You are no longer connected to your creator. And because of that humanity, because of the decision of our father, this disease has entered our life. The disease is sin. Sin is the bad things you do, but it's the cause of the bad things you do. And that's why Jesus made a point. is like, quit trying to worry about just cleaning out the outside of the cup. He didn't say it's not important. Quit. You need to clean the inside of the cup. And the outside will follow. You can't clean the inside up. You know it. I'm going to say one phrase that I guarantee everyone in this room has thought. Why do I keep doing that? No, I do. And in the midst of that, we started to create religions. Ways to try to get back to God. And we called him different things so we could feel close to him again and created our own gods because we didn't really want to do what he told us to do, which is mold your life around me. I'm God and you're not. We didn't want to do that. So we created gods that were comfortable, that were molded around our lives. And thousands of years of human existence have shown us how that works out. We don't do a good job at being God or making gods. War, death, disease, famine, uh, you know, all of it. Murder, all these things come out of that sin Religions don't fix it. So when we couldn't get to God, God had a plan. He came to us. Sent his only son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. It's a fact. Why did he do it that way? In case everybody's like, why do you have to do it that way? To prove to you he ain't a normal person. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He lived. No one that is actually, no one that is a good scholar. I said it in a nice way. I don't care what is going to deny that. Right? He lived. Miracles were attributed to him. Historically even. He told us how to live. He told us what he's like, right? Because he is God made flesh. He said, this is what I'm really like. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I love you. I'm going to heal you, but you got to turn back to me. You have to turn away from yourself. you got to stop playing this game where it's half in and half out. It's either me or it's you. Don't fool yourself. It's not 50% me and 50% you. It's all me or none of me. And so he told us about the gospel. He healed to prove he had the ability to forgive our sins, right? He, he had to prove he was God, so he proved it, and he died on a cross. It's, it existed. It happened. The sun went dark. There were earthquakes attributed. The Roman historians say that. That day was special. Something happened. And God, Jesus, on this cross took something that you'll never, you've never experienced on this earth, no matter how sad you are, which is the complete absence of the Father. The Father turned his back on him. He was utterly alone. He said it on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, cursed, punished, and died so that you don't have to be. The gospel is not about you cleaning yourself up, guys. If you're in this room and hearing it, please hear me. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what the fancy guy in the suit told you. It's not about you cleaning yourself up because you can't do it. It's about letting God clean you up. But in order for that to happen, you have to come back to him, which means walk away from you. 
Jesus made it very clear, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. I am the only way. Not halfway, kind of, if you want life. Right? It's through me. Three days after his death, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Over 500 witnesses attest to the risen Lord to prove he was who he said he was, and he offers you a choice today. Time doesn't exist to God. I will take your sin. I will take your shame. I will take your brokenness. I will... I will take it all. I will take the punishment reserved for you because, listen, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's not just like, oh, I'm not with God. No, you're going to die. Hell is real, and you're going there without him. And before you say, why would he send anyone? He's not. We're all headed there. He just grabs people. So how do I get that, Todd? Well, I told you at the beginning, and it's a simple thing. He offers you mercy, but you've got to reject the decision you made so long ago, the decision to say, I do things my way. I know what's right and wrong. And really what you're doing, no one's ever told you this, is you're playing God. So Jesus offers you a choice right now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your lips, I mean say it, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, that is who he said he was, you will be saved. Put your faith in him. Say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I accept you, or God, and I'm not. Change me, and he will today. He can do it right now. And you're going to get an opportunity. Oh, it's late. I know, Taco Bell's still waiting. You're going to get that opportunity in this altar time, folks. I was told, uh, I always forget this. So a lot, apparently in a lot of places, altar time ends up being a place where, like, when you're saved, you come and try to get saved again because you're afraid you lost it. That's not what this is about. It's not about a salvation thing if you're a believer. You're a believer. It's about you coming back to him because we wander away and saying, I'm sorry, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refocus, whatever he's calling you to do. But those in the room that aren't saved, this is your opportunity. And I don't know, maybe you'll get another one. Maybe you will, and I, but maybe you won't. So I'm telling you what someone told me a long time ago. This is the truth. And there's people in this room that need to hear this. You know me well, which means you know my flaws. And so you think that God can't use me, right? Or that I'm being fake because of my flaws. Like, no, I, I, I'm very flawed. He's not. So if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, there's people up here willing to pray with you. Confess. Be saved. In that instance, it happens. Oh, my goodness, but then I got to be perfect. They lied to you. They told you I had to be perfect after this. They ain't no perfect people. You will be changed. You will be different, but you're not going to be completely perfect this side of heaven. And if you're in the room and you know you haven't been living your life looking to proclaim as a church, let us repent. Let us make a change. Let's say united as a group that we're going to turn. We're going to do it. We're going to be radical and be different for the glory of God. Because that's where the miracles are. We got to go where he went and we got to do what he does. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in. Because if you do, you're choosing to.